Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. He's speaking about godly sorrow. It's supernaturally wrought in the heart of the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. This sorrow is a sorrow that summons God to the heart of the repentant. Every tear of repentance is a summons to the God of all comfort. Sadness is a part of our lives, just as much as joy, fear, and anger. Pastor Ed today looks at a specific category of sorrow in today's message, spiritual sorrow. This type of sadness is brought on by our awareness of sin, whether it be in our own lives or in the world around us. Spiritual sorrow is a step in the direction of repentance. It's looking at how painful sin is, being truly humbled and broken by it. Spiritual sorrow is necessary, though it is difficult to live through. Well, let's join Pastor Ed in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 4, with part one of his message entitled, Those Who Mourn. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The wisest man in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, said, There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Solomon saw the wisdom of balance, but throughout church history, it's not been an easy task to balance the church. Either we swing from one end of the pendulum to the other. Some Christians have the concept in their mind that to be a Christian, you must have a long face. I heard about a deacon who was looking for the guest pastor who was going to speak at a church. He went to the train station, and he had never seen the pastor before, so he tried to discern by the pastor's appearance uh, who he might be. And so he went up to one man and he said, Sir, are you Pastor so-and-so who's come to speak at our church? He said, No, I just have a stomach ache and that's why I look like that. <laughs> Some people think that to be a Christian, you have to have a long face and never laugh. A little girl made a comment. She said, That must be a Christian horse. It has a long face. <laughs> well... That's not the way we're supposed to be. Those who emphasize sorrow to the exclusion of joy forget that the joy of the Lord is our strength. But I'm afraid the pendulum perhaps has swung to the other end of the spectrum. Because in our day, it seems we have taken on the attitude of the world the world's attitude is, let's just have one big happy hour. 
Let's drown our sorrows, drown our difficulties in the pleasures and the amusements of this world. But in the midst of their pursuit of laughter, they have buried their pain and not really dealt with it. And that's why I believe more people are depressed in America than perhaps in any other country. It's amazing, this epidemic of depression that's sweeping across the nation, and partly, I believe, because we have failed to deal with our sins. There needs to be joy in the church and laughter, but there also needs to be mourning and sorrow, and the last must precede the first. Because first there is sorrow and mourning over our sins, and then there will be the comfort that God gives, the joy of the Lord. There are several types of sorrow. There's natural sorrow. In the Bible, Jesus wept at Lazarus' gravesite. And sorrow is natural. It's a release of motions. It's given to us as a gift from God to heal our pain on the inside. But then there's ungodly sorrow. You see that in the life of David. When David is weeping over his slain son Absalom, Absalom rebelled against him. Absalom put the whole nation in turmoil. And because David was guilt-ridden, He couldn't properly deal with his son Absalom, and he's weeping. And Joab has to come and rebuke David. And he says in 2 Samuel 9, 6, You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. There is a sorrow that is wrong. Some people bury themselves in sorrow. But there is a godly sorrow. And that's what I believe Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. He's speaking about godly sorrow. It's supernaturally wrought in the heart of the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. This sorrow is a sorrow that summons God to the heart of the repentant. Every tear of repentance is a summons to the God of all comfort. I'll say that again. Every tear of repentance is a summons to the God of all comfort. We mourn spiritually. And when we mourn spiritually, it produces spiritual fruit. First, the mourning we experience, the mourning we experience. In 5, 4, it reads, blessed are those who mourn. Now, to mourn means to weep and to be sorrowful in a deep way. The Greek has maybe nine words that describe Sorrow and weeping. This is the strongest of all of those words. It has the idea of somebody wailing at a graveside, weeping deeply. And the tenses in the Greek means 
It's a daily mourning, a daily weeping. Why would Jesus tell us, blessed are those that mourn, they will be comforted. And that word blessed contains in it the idea of joy, happiness, the favor of God. That's different from what the world would say to us. They would say happy is a person who laughs their way through life. But Jesus said blessed are those that mourn. I believe it's because we're mourning over our poverty of spirit. Out of the poverty of spirit, out of someone who recognizes I need God. I'm dependent on him. Without him, I can do nothing. Out of this sense of spiritual poverty grows a mourning over one's sins. We mourn over our sins. 2 Corinthians 7.10 reads, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrows bring death. Godly sorrow. Think about the sins you've committed since you've been saved. Sins against the Savior's love. Sins past and present. Think about the inconsistencies of your life. We often say one thing and do another thing. We often hold this ideal up but really live on this plane over here. One day we can be headed full steam ahead for God. And the next week we languish in our commitment to him. Sometimes we're so inconsistent. Think about the coldness or the hardness of your heart. It sometimes takes a spiritual earthquake to wake some people up. It takes someone with skill and ability to sometimes capture people's attention rather than their hearts already being in touch with God and hungry for God. It takes all of these externals to gather their attention. How cold and hard our hearts are at times. How many of us can look back and if you're like me, you say, you know, I should be much further. I should have progressed much further in my Christian walk than I have. We can look at ourselves. And if we're poor in spirit, we recognize, oh, Lord, I should be so much further along in you. Perhaps God gives you a glimpse of your own frailty and weaknesses. Your self-knowledge, the depravity of your own heart should drive you to your knees and should cause you to mourn. When Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, he's thinking about those who have recognized that they're just beggars at heaven's gates. In Psalm 38, verse 18, it reads, For I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Sunday school teacher said in class, Who can define repentance? A young boy replied, Repentance means being sorry for sin. Yes, said the teacher. And then a little girl raised her hand and she said, Well, doesn't it mean sorry enough to stop? The psalmist said, I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. I wrote down, be thankful for sacred sorrow. It is God's powerful instrument for creating holy character. 
Do you feel sacred sorrow? Are there times within the church that we sense the holiness of God and the sinfulness of our own heart and we come with tears and weep our way to God? Not only sorrow for our own sins, but also we mourn over other people's sins. In Psalm 119, verse 136, it reads, Rivers of water run down from mine eyes, because men do not keep your law. Christianity doesn't isolate us from the world, but it gives us greater compassion for the world we live in. For a believer, we're grieved by the sin that's in our culture. We don't delight in it. We don't take part in it. It hurts our heart when we see a world going astray. When we see men calling right wrong and wrong right. When they take the name of Jesus our Savior in vain, it's like a knife stabbed through our hearts. We mourn over the sin of the world. E. Stanley Jones, a great missionary years ago to India, said this, Blessed are those who feel the world's sin and sorrow. This is the very opposite of the Hindu and Buddhist ideal of being unaffected and aloof in spirit. Christianity engages us in the sorrows and trials and tribulations of our world. When we see all of man's inhumanity to man and we see all of the crimes that are committed, our hearts are moved. Now, most people are too selfish to be affected by the problems of the world around us. Most of us, we need to grow more. Little child was in a terrible train wreck. And her mother shielded her from that train wreck. She was just a small, small child. Her mother lost her life in the train wreck. When the rescuers came, they took the child out of the mother's arms and the child was still gleeful and happy. And then they took a candy bar out of that child's hand that the child had. And all of a sudden the child began to wail and cry. Well, that child was too young to understand death and the loss of her mother. But she understood the loss of that candy bar. How much of our sorrow is really a worthy sorrow. I remember my home church pastor, Brother Greco, praying and then preaching and weeping as he would preach to the congregation. McChane was a great preacher that influenced the British Isle. And he died at a very young age, but he was anointed by God deeply and a young preacher came to visit the church where he pastored and the sexton let him into the church and he began to inquire he said well tell me about Robert McChain tell me about his preaching he said come here son and he took him to a small office and a wooden desk and there were still some of McChain's books left on the desk he said now here sit at this chair now, uh, put your 
elbows on the desk, put your head into your hands, and now weep. Now come with me to his podium. Uh, Put your elbows on the pulpit. Now put your face in your hands. And now let the tears flow. I have to ask myself, I have to ask you, do we weep over the lost? Do we see the reality of their lostness? They're headed in blindness off a precipice into eternal damnation forever and ever. There ought to be sorrow in our hearts for those that know Christ not, for the sin of our world. Paul wept over the church. Jeremiah wept over the nation. Jesus, when he viewed Jerusalem, began to weep over Jerusalem. God, give us tears so that we might weep over those that don't know Christ, over the sin in our own heart and the sin in our culture. There ought to be joy in the church, but there ought to also be times of weeping. Chuck Colson, in his book, Who Speaks for God?, tells about the Nuremberg trials for war war criminals. A man by the name of Demur was one of the men who was in concentration camp, and he was on 60 Minutes when Mike Wallace interviewed him. And they showed a clip where Demur went in and Adolf Eichmann was being tried. And as soon as Demur went in, all of a sudden, he began to show all of this emotion. He began to sob uncontrollably. Then he fainted, and the presiding judge uh, just pounded his gavel to get order back. Was more overcome by hatred, fear, or horrid memories? Asked Colson, who then answers the question, No, it was none of these. Rather, as Demur explained to Wallace... All at once he realized Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. This Eichmann was an ordinary man. He said, I was afraid about myself, said Demur. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. Wallace summarized Demur's terrible discovery. He said, Eichmann is in all of us. When we begin to understand our heart and we see the sin of our world and we recognize what's out there, there's this deep sorrow for sin. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. There are none of us who are beyond the worst of us. And so that should produce in us this sense of deep repentance. Now we've looked at the mourning we experience. We ought to look at the comfort we experience. In Matthew 5, 4, it reads, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The tears of repentance 
are the pathway into the heart of God. God responds to a repentant heart. He responds to tears wept over the right thing for the right cause. I have found that as I've grown older, and maybe some of you have found this experience as well, that it's easier to cry. I I see the commercials on television sometimes, cinema therapy. Well, I, I guess they're trying to say, watch this story and, you know, have a catharsis experience and weep over it some. Or I think about God's therapy for us. He's given us tear ducts, the ability to weep. And somehow in that weeping over our own sinful state and weeping over the sins of others, there is a, a purifying effect on our own lives. God Give us tears to weep so that the windows of our soul will be clear and we can see you. We are comforted by forgiveness. I believe when we weep over our sins, you know the experience. You felt it. When you've sinned and you've failed God, and then when you've come back to him and repentance and you know that you know that you know, that everything's just right between you and him. Supernaturally communicated to your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit is that divine comfort that God has heard your prayer for forgiveness. James, in chapter 4, 8 and 9 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. There ought to be times of deep repentance in our lives. The times of deep repentance ought to grow with our progression in faith. I remember when I came and received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior at an altar, and I wept and I accepted him. But I have to tell you, That through those 30 plus years, there have been times of even deeper repentance as God has shown me my heart. Luther, Martin Luther, in his first of 95 thesis that he hammered to the church door, said that life ought to be one continual repentance. I'm paraphrasing his words. One continual life of repentance. The depth of your sorrow will be the measure of your joy. When I went to Brownsville years ago, as they were in the midst of revival, I sat in various places in the congregation. They were packed. And one time I sat in the very back and top of the balcony... And there I saw young people. They weren't passing notes or talking to one another. But all of a sudden they would weep and began to cry and trembled in the presence of the Lord. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 is one of the most well-known portions of Scripture in the whole of the Bible. 
In this text, Jesus talks about loving our enemies, fasting, and properly judging. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching through the Beatitudes. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you can find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith and to access the archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.